Uh, later on, uh, I'm going to highlight the, the importance of three important qualities, uh, and those three qualities are obedience and integrity and commitment. And I, I'm going to invite each of us in about maybe 15 minutes or so to consider the place of these qualities in our lives right now. So that's kind of just a wee bit of a bit of a heads up, so to speak. As Sarah has said, uh, we're starting a new series today, so I do want to take a few moments to explain what it's about, uh, where we're going with it, and, and why this title, because it's, it's raised a few eyebrows. Uh, please, please don't get too distracted by it. Uh, for those who don't know, Game of Thrones is an American fantasy drama TV series based on a book by George R.R. Martin. It's been running for eight years, eight seasons, about to finish. It's won all kinds of awards. It's got an international fan base. It's a kind of global phenomena. It's also a key contributor to Northern Ireland tourism uh, because lots of Game of Thrones has been filmed here. And so, for example, it has put the dark hedges on the world map. And as a result, Northern Ireland has actually become a key destination for Game of Thrones fans. 120 visitors came to Northern Ireland in 2016 just because of Game of Thrones. Uh, and this week I was reading how it's now worth an estimated 30 million pounds a year to our local economy and to our tourism sector. Now, I have never seen an episode, okay? I haven't. And, and so this title in no way plugs or condones that TV show, okay? I've never seen an episode. The series that we are launching today is based on, it's based in the Old Testament book of First Kings. And First Kings tracks the story of Israel during a time in its history whenever different kings sat on the throne, or on the thrones, plural, because at a point in time, the kingdom divided into two, north and south. And as you read the story, which we're going to do together, you come across some people playing all kinds of games, including mind games, as they attempt to kind of take over the throne and muscle in on it, or as they make a complete mess of the monarchy. And so the title Game of Thrones just seemed relevant, okay? So all I'm saying is, don't get sidetracked by the title, okay? It's just a hook. The bigger and better question to ask isn't so much, well, why Game of Thrones? The bigger and better question to ask is, why are we looking at First Kings? Why, why this particular book? Well, let me give you a few reasons, okay? The first is that in the not-too-distant past, we did a series. Now, it was a Sunday night series. But we did a series on the life of David, you know, shepherd boy, giant slayer, king, called it Walk This Way, which finished right at the start of First Kings. We kind of brought the story of David right through First, Second Samuel up to the first chapter of First Kings. And so I thought it would be good to kind of pick it up again and discover what happens next. Second reason is we have just finished a series looking at spiritual disciplines. Now, that was a thematic series. And just before that series, we did another series in the New Testament 
on First and Second Peter. And so it has actually been a while since we did a series on a Sunday morning looking at an Old Testament book. And because we believe it's important to retain balance, it's important to mix it up, then I thought it would be a good idea to go back to the Old Testament and back to First Kings. Third reason, I recently came across this quote Few biblical books are as neglected by the church as First and Second Kings, and, and that just felt like a challenge. Uh, plus, because we passionately believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, all Scripture is useful at various levels, then it means it's really important that we wrestle with, that we don't shy away from the neglected bits, the avoided bits, the difficult bits, and at times the downright boring bits. And so, why not First Kings? Okay, so with all that as a kind of introduction and explanation, let's turn, if you have a, a copy of God's Word in front of you, I will have it on the screen here in a moment, but given the size of the text, it would be really helpful if you could see a copy of God's Word, either on a device or, or a, a literal copy. First Kings chapter 2, and as we, we start this chapter, David's on his deathbed. That, that's King David. But before we, we read his last words, and some would say these are his famous last words, I want to take us back. I want to take us back to something that God promised to David years before this moment. Here's what God said. David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, now this was said years before this moment where David's lying on his deathbed. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his, that is your offspring's kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then I want to take you back even further, right back to the start, right back, if you like, to the book of beginnings, right back to Genesis, this time to chapter 17, verse 6, where God makes this promise to Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and then this bit, and kings will come from you. And so whatever we are about to read, Whatever we're about to discover in this series, we need to start from a place of recognizing that this is all part of a big story. This is all part of a bigger unfolding story and that God has been and is at work seeing through on his promises. God has been and is at work accomplishing his purposes. And so kings did come. And an offspring from David's body did become king. God did establish his throne forever through Solomon, yes, but ultimately through Jesus. And so, as we were reminded whenever we looked at Matthew chapter 1, the very opening verse of the New Testament during Advent, what does it say? This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. So you see, all of this, God has been at work orchestrating this from the very beginning, and therefore all Scripture fits together, it hangs together. And so as we read God's Word, or as we read parts of it, like 1 Kings, we're seeing windows into God's purposes. 
We're catching glimpses of this bigger story. And we are effectively being reminded of God's providence. That God is governing the universe. He's actively at work using human decisions for his own glory and for his people's good. Which amongst other things means that whenever specific details seem confusing and hard to understand, and we are going to come across our fair share of confusing details in 1 Kings. But whenever we come across them, we must always bear in mind, you know something, God is in control. And Sarah actually, a number of times this morning, as she has led us in prayer, has thanked God that he is in control. And you know, although at times that can seem unclear, some of us here this morning may even question the idea that God is in control. 1 Kings provides a helpful constant reminder of this truth, the divine reality. God is, again, word that Sarah has used at least twice in her praying. God is sovereign. And we need, to, we need to approach this book, we need to approach this series recognizing that because there is going to be stuff in here that is going to perplex us. So let's read the opening section of chapter two. So David has served as king for, uh, does anyone know how long David served as king? Bit of interaction. How long was David king in Israel? 40 years exactly. He was the second king, first was Saul. But as David himself says, verse two, I am about to go all the way of the earth. David's about to die. This is actually a direct quote. Some of you will know this, that these are just words that David is echoing from someone else. Does anyone know who else said these exact words? It's Joshua. And what it does is, this is a phrase that reminds us, do you know something, human life, and and many of us here are all too aware of this, and I realize this, this brings up stuff. This is a phrase that reminds us, human life is fragile. Human life is passing. Human life is temporary, transient. And so David knows that his time's up. And therefore, he wants to say something important, something memorable to his son Solomon, who has just been declared as the new king, the third king in Israel and on the throne. Now, for some of you, the words we're about to read will hopefully ring a few bells, because back in May 2011, as part of our Essential Word series, we thought about these words under the title, Man Up. So, will you please stand with me for the public reading of God's inspiring word? (laughs) They're, They're going to be on the screen, but... It's unlikely you're going to be able to see them. Matt, would you flick over the next two slides for me? So here we go. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said, so be strong and act like a man. That, That effectively means, although I took it from a different perspective eight years ago, but that effectively means act like a grown up. And observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him 
and keep his decrees and his commands, his laws and his regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord will keep his promise to me that if your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and all their soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Now, you yourself know, Solomon, that Joab, son of Zariah, what he did to me, what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He killed him, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle. And with that blood, he stained the belt around his waist and the sandals of his feet. Deal with him according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. Sounds like Game of Thrones. But show kindness, I've never seen an episode, but show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, of Gilead, and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember, you have Shimei, son of Jera, with the Benjamite from Burim, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Mahinam. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword, but now, Solomon, do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do with him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. Then David rested with his ancestors, was buried in the city of David. He had reigned for 40 years over Israel, seven in Hebron, 33 in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his rule was firmly established. Grab a seat. See that last word? It's that last word, I know you're, you're not gonna, you can see it here on the screen. That last word, established, is really important. If you have a Bible open you or a device, scroll down to the very last verse of this chapter, and you will read this. The kingdom was now established in Solomon's hands. And, and the reason this is a really important word and moment is that it's an indicator and proof that God is indeed in complete control. Let me go back to what I shared from 2 Samuel 7. What did God say? And I will establish your offspring's kingdom and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Here in 1 Kings chapter 2, God is fulfilling that particular promise. Incidentally, some of you will know that in chapter one, if you track the last series with us, there was another one of David's sons, Adonjana, who tried to set himself up as a king. He tried to play, if you like, a game of thrones. But David was having none of it. And why was David having none of it? Because God was having none of it. And so because the promise to secure and establish his kingdom involved a specific son, Solomon, Bathsheba's boy, then Adonjana failed. You see, no one and nothing stands in the way of God's plans and purposes. Solomon's rule and Solomon's kingdom were established because God is sovereign. Other people may try to muscle in. God is sovereign. So is the throne is established, his kingdom is established under Solomon. 
But David wanted to leave his son, his, this new king, with a charge, as it's called in the verse. Really just some important final instructions. And it comes in two parts. The first part is verses 1 to 4. The second part is verses 5 to 11. And I am going to concentrate and focus on the first part. But let me comment briefly in part 2. Because they, what David says to Solomon in part 2 in verses 5 to 11 sounds extreme. Harsh. Callous calculating. See, David draws Solomon's attention to some unfinished business. And specifically, he draws his attention to a couple of men who need to be taken out. And the first was Joab. And again, those of you who've tracked the story of David will know all about Joab. And David's instructions to Solomon were these. Verse 6, don't let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. And the second target was Shimei, and David said to Solomon, and I quote, bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. Now, it seems that David had a problem with people with gray hair. But he didn't have a problem with people with gray hair. What David did have a problem with was anyone who might threaten the kingdom. The kingdom needed to be firmly established, and in an ancient world of war and politics, all threats had to be neutralized. And leaders, new leaders, including Solomon, needed to eliminate anyone who stood in the way. Desperate times called for desperate measures, and that's just the way it seemed to be. And we may have a problem with part two of David's farewell speech, but it's part of the biblical narrative, and sometimes we need to recognize that narrative's not normative. Plus, we're not being asked to admire or imitate David's advice and Solomon's subsequent actions. But you see, in the messiness of life and in the ambiguities of difficult and puzzling circumstances, we need to somehow recognize that God is still working out his purposes, sometimes through the shambles, through the enigmas, and at other times despite them. And either we accept that or we reel against it. Either we believe that or we find other ways to make sense of all the confusion around us today. God is sovereign, governing the universe in the midst of the mess and the mayhem. But back to part one, the first four verses, and according to one commentator, these verses are kind of like a key that unlocks the treasures of this entire book. If only all kings would live like this. But these words were directed as a specific king, Solomon. And in his dad's final words to him comes a call for courage and conduct. And I want to take these words this morning, just the time I've got left. And we're going to do it really quickly. And I'm going to apply these words to each of us here this morning. Not just to the men here as I did eight years ago but I want to apply this to all of us because as another commentator writes, these words are not only for the Davidic kings, these are words for all who by grace belong to that kingdom. So if you are a Christian here this morning, if you are a kingdom dweller, please take David's advice personally and apply what he said to Solomon to your own life. And notice it's not just the advice of a dying dad that we're going to listen to in a second. According to the second half of verse 3, this advice, these instructions clarify what the Lord your God requires. This is not what David requires. This is what the Lord requires. And he requires three things. 
obedience, integrity, and commitment. And I want to hold these up this morning, and I want to encourage you to stare at them, and I want to encourage you to reflect on where you stand today in light of these. According to verse 3, Solomon is to walk in obedience to God. Walk in obedience to God. What does that actually mean? Well, David goes on to confirm what it actually means. He says, verse 3, still keep his decrees. Keep his commands, his laws, and his regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this. In other words, I want you to listen to God's word and do it. I want you to follow it. I want you to walk it. I want you to live it out. I want you to obey it. Whenever God was setting the criteria for each and every king way back in Deuteronomy 17, there were certain expectations that God had for kings regarding how they handled his word. The the Torah, the law of Moses, the available word of God at that time. There were certain criteria God set. And that criteria included that they were to write out, every king was to write out a copy of the law of Moses for themselves. And they were to have it with them. Don't know if they were to have it with them 24-7, but they were certainly to have it with them, according to Deuteronomy 17, a lot of the time. And not only that, but they were to read it, and I know this next bit because it's a direct quote, they were to read it all the days of their lives. Why? Well, God said, so that they would learn to revere me and obey me. And you know, that requirement is as relevant today to each and every one of us as it was to each and every king. We need to be, we should be people who read, learn, know, and obey God's word. We need to be people who live on every single word that comes out of the mouth of God. We need to be people whose lives are shaped, whose beliefs, whose values, whose attitudes, whose behavior, whose words, whose actions, whose ambitions are shaped and influenced by God's word, by scripture. And so in some ways, what we're really back to is a spiritual discipline. Maybe the number one spiritual discipline, certainly the number one in the book that we read together, the number one spiritual discipline of Bible intake, Bible meditation, Bible memorization, Bible engagement. We need to be people of this book. We need to take it on board. We need to consume it. And then we need to walk it out, live it out. Do you know, if we're going to be strong, If we're going to be mature in the faith, then David's advice to Solomon is so personal. We need to be people who walk in obedience to God's word. It's timeless advice. It's timely advice. Obedience. Secondly, integrity. In verse 4, look at verse 4 with me. David, David drew... Solomon's attention to a promise that God had actually made to him regarding his descendants. And what was the promise? The promise was this, that if they watched how they live. So here's David reminding his son Solomon, watch how you live. In other words, your conduct matters. Your conduct matters. Your, Your life needs to ring true. There there can't be an inconsistency, in a sense, between what you say and what you believe and how you behave. I mean, this is something we talk about a lot. 
There can't be a contradiction between what you say and how you live. This, this is kind of going back, and it's connected to the first point because he talks about walking in obedience. It's, it's like living this out. You've got to put into practice what you're hearing, what you're reading, what you're discovering. Later on in 1 Kings, and we will get there, David actually reminds Solomon about the importance of this. Here's, here's what God says to Solomon later on in the book. As for you, Solomon, walk before me with integrity of heart. The importance of integrity in the Christian life cannot be overestimated. Here's what Alan Simpson says. If you have integrity, nothing else matters. If you don't have integrity, nothing else matters. You see, what we say and how we live need to add up. I've referred to this illustration before. Many of you have heard me using this illustration to, to kind of describe what integrity means. But if, if you imagine a piece of rock with the word Bournemouth, now I couldn't find a piece of rock with the word Portrush, and as a Chelsea supporter, it's really hard for me to put up a piece of rock with Bournemouth on it, given what happened this week, but that's okay, that's another matter. But if you imagine a piece of rock with Bournemouth written into it, no matter where you break into that piece of rock, you all know that you should still be able to read Bournemouth. That's just the way these things have been constructed. And integrity is just like that. No matter where you break into my life, no matter where you break into my life tonight, tomorrow morning, with my friends, with my family, you should still be able to read Christian, follower of Jesus. I can stand up here and say all the right stuff. Question is, do I have integrity? Am I living it? Are you living it? I can read you this morning to a certain extent, but I have to break into your life tomorrow, this time tomorrow. What would I read as you react to your work colleagues, your workplace, your work environment? That's integrity. Don't let your words and actions contradict each other as part of what David's saying to Solomon. Make sure what you say and how you live complement each other. Be authentic. But watching how you live also reminds us that we've got to take stock of how we live. We need to be people who reflect carefully on what we say and what we do. We need to be people who reflect carefully on our use of time and resources. We need to be people who reflect carefully on our weaknesses and our blind spots on our temptations and the footholds that we sometimes give the enemy. Because you see, if we don't watch our lives carefully, our integrity will be at risk. Obedience, integrity, and then thirdly, commitment. Nearly done. David reminds Solomon again, verse four, this is part of a promise that God had given to David regarding his descendants, and so he just echoes it, and he says, walk faithfully, before God with all your heart and soul. David emphasizes the importance of faithful surrender, the need to be fully committed, all in, 100%, sold out for God and his ways. And that calling to faithful submission and total surrender still stands, still remains. I mean, the greatest commandment, it calls us to love God with every fiber of our being, to love him with all our heart and all our soul, all our strength and all our mind. And self-denial that we're called to, take up our cross daily that we're called to and follow Jesus. All of those things require 100% surrender. Total commitment. Half-hearted, lukewarm Christianity is not a serious option. 
But in a world that constantly entices us to compromise our faith, tone it down, take it less seriously. Half-hearted, lukewarm Christianity is always a potential alternative. Apathy is a real and present danger. And therefore, David's advice to Solomon to walk faithfully before God with everything he's got, wholehearted, nothing held back. That advice is crucial, and it remains so for us. So three key issues that David shared with Solomon before he went the way of all the earth. Walk in obedience to God. Immerse yourself in God's word and do what it says. Watch how you live. Be a person of integrity. And walk faithfully before God with all your heart and soul. Make sure you're constantly and consistently sold out. I suppose one of the obvious questions we need to ask is this. How did Solomon do? How did he get on? Did he pay attention to his dad's last words of advice? Did he live a life of obedience, integrity, commitment? Many of you already know the answer to that. And we'll discover it in subsequent weeks. But as I bring us to a close this morning, can I urge you? to take these three things away and use these three things to review where you stand before God today. Is God's word central to your life? Are you reading it? More importantly, are you living it? Is there an area of your life that you're not watching how you live? Where compromise has crept in? Where there's a lack of integrity? Is wholehearted surrender still a feature? Or has indifference tempered your commitment? As Jesus said towards the end of his Sermon on the Mount, as he talked about building a life on his teaching, what did he say? He said, wise is the person who hears God's word and puts it into practice. And my prayer this morning is that as we, as I, I've listened to God's word. I'll not only hear it, but I will live it. I will walk it out.